0: 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm
2: Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. And of course, I'm Al Warren. Now, we've got Mr. Martini on the other side of the planet. I'm right here making martinis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course you are. Yes, yeah, always, always. You're going to have to check into the same rehab as uh, <laughs> Will Smith. <laughs> I don't know what it's for, but you're checking in because you don't want to lose your, in. Your, your movies are going to go down, you know? That's they're, right. They're dropping like flies, you know? Get in there, you know? Anyway, that's enough. I should make yeah. fun. It's a terrible no, situation. No. It Earth-shattering. is. Earth-shattering. Well, anyway, um, so now we've got a uh, new writer on, so we're, we're, we're breaking in quite a few people here, you know? We'll see. If they can make it through our show, they might have a chance. <laughs> um, and this time, we're talking about the book. That's called The Lives of Diamond Bessie, and it's a novel. And the author is uh, Jody Hadlock. So thank you for being here. Be-
3: thank you for having me. It's a great day. Thank you.
2: <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, I, I wonder, you know, when I first see the outline for it, and it's saying uh, pregnant out of wedlock, 16-year-old Ann, Annie Moore. sounded like my young life. Um, I <laughs> where, where, What... I always look at stories like this, and I think, okay, so how do you, what kind of experience do you pull in to put this into a book? Like, I'm not saying you, but I'm just saying, well, yeah, you. But I'm saying because when someone reads it, it's got to read true to form. they got to really kind of go, this this character's real. This is a real, I believe this person. And so, so it always grabs me when it's something that's kind of tragic in a sense of, Of uh, if you use, do you bring in people you know or real life experiences, or how do you develop that?
3: Well, um, the main character was a 19th century prostitute. I've never been a prostitute, luckily, Um, (laughs) but I was fortunate enough to find three memoirs of late 19th century prostitutes that were absolutely fascinating, they were riveting. And so I mined them for all they were worth. Um, That really helped. And then, of course, just, you know, sinking down and, you know, trying to get into the mind of your character. And since my novel is based on true events and, and real people, I mean, some of it is fictionalized, of course. But because it's, you know, a lot of the things that happened in the book really happened and I had to really think, hard of thinking through what Bessie's motivations were, why she made the choices that she did. And it, it was challenging, I have to say. So I, I really put um, a lot of thought into it, a lot of drafts.
2: I would say, yeah, because, um, you're, you know, if you've got memoirs from people that were actually doing that kind of work and living that life, uh, um, you, you're going to get an insight um obviously, to their character of, of why they do things and think things and stuff. But I just wonder, because it, it's it's so long ago, how much different it really was. Like, d- did you find large differences in the way they reacted to things?
3: Um, well, you know, this was obviously a much different time. You had the the women's rights movement going on. Um, And, you know, delving into why a woman became a prostitute, you know, at that time, uh, you know, so much of it, you know, the, the women's rights movement and prostitution, you know, they were kind of tied together because it was the lack of rights, the lack of opportunities for women that often drove them into prostitution. So, yeah, that was really interesting as far as my research and learning about all that.
2: How do you decide what line you're going to draw? Like when you when you're centering it around true events, you know it's it's you know it's historical and you've got some real things happening, and then you're throwing in fictional events and characters as well. How, how do you decide what is going to be real and what's not? I don't know if you kind of get what I'm saying. Well, like we're- you know,
3: no, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, bec- not much is known about Bessie as far as her upbringing and what happened before she became a prostitute. There's a little bit. So I really had to make it up. I had to fictionalize it. And so it was It was through my research is uh, looking into um, what were the consequences for a woman at that time who became pregnant out of wedlock. And I, I don't want to say everything that's fact and fiction right now because I don't want to spoil it for everyone. But uh, so I had to... Um, uh, you know, I, I found out about the Magdalen laundries of the 19th century, the Convents for Fallen Women, etc. So, you know, I, I looked for things that I could use that, you know, that were plausible and then develop the plot from there. It, t- it took a lot of work, a lot of drafts, um, a lot of really, really a, a lot of drafting and uh, with the research to, to get it to the point where um, I felt like I had a good story.
2: I, I, how did you get into this story? Like, what, what led you to decide to write the lives of Diamond Bessie?
3: Well, um, it was a long time ago. Um, kind of embarrassed to say how long ago it was, but I'd, <laughs> I I used to be a journalist. I was a broadcast journalist, TV news reporter and anchor, And but I'd always wanted to write novels. I knew that. Um, and I, I really enjoyed journalism while I was in it. But I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to write a novel. I just didn't know what I wanted to write about, what I wanted to say. And when my husband and I were dating, we, he's from East Texas. So we went to meet his parents. And then uh, my husband said, let's take a little day trip over to Jefferson. And this is just three hours east of Dallas. I grew up in a suburb of Dallas, Irving. I'd never heard of Jefferson. And I was like, Jefferson, where's that? And then we go there and I find out it was an inland river port in the 18, mid-1800s. This is in Northeast Texas. I was like an inland river port, what in the world? So we went to the historical museum and I'll never forget, I was walking down an aisle and at the end, there was a, a display case and it had a full page newspaper article about Diamond Bessie and, and Abra's child, And it was a, a Dallas paper in the 1930s that wrote a full page article with drawings about something that had happened in this tiny town of 2000 people about 60 years earlier. And I remember I was just really, I was immediately intrigued and I thought, I read the article and I, I, I thought, why was this paper so interested in this? So, you know, long after. And then I had another thought, but I don't wanna give away the plot. Um, and that just, I was immediately hooked. At the time I was working um, at the CBS affiliate in Charleston, South Carolina, as a uh, weekend news anchor and, and reporter. And I made a, um, and that, okay, I'll, I'll tell you how long ago it was <laughs> so you'll understand why I <laughs> had to wait to do the research. This was in the mid-90s, mid, mid 90s, early in the mid-90s. And so I made a vow that when I got back to Texas, I would look into the story. So this is you know, really before the internet and before newspapers.com, which is a godsend. So it took me two years to, I got a job anchoring the news in San Antonio, Texas. And I mean, as soon as I moved back in 95, I immediately started my research and I spent all my spare time on the weekends. I had to do interlibrary loan. It was a lot more work back then to do research. Um, It's so much easier now. And then for a lot of reasons, I had just, I set aside my writing and then came back to it in 2014.
2: It's quite different. I, um, I don't think people realize nowadays how, how much harder it really was um, being a reporter, you know, um, but what was it that happened in two thousand fourteen? Then that that you decided you were going to go ahead with the book.
3: Well, I when I did the research in the nineties, and then I I had an outline, and I sat down to write, and I sat in front of my computer, and I couldn't, I couldn't. I was like, oh my god, I didn't really think about the. I was so focused on the research and outlining this plot, and I never didn't really, you know, think about the creative, you know, part of it.
1: And, and then I had the
3: wrong point of view. So then I got really frustrated. Um, and so then um, I adopted my uh, son from Rom- Romania in the late 90s, and he has developmental disabilities. So I was really focused on that and my career. By then, I had, uh, was not in journalism anymore. I was working at a, at a place in, in Washington, D.C. And it was just crazy. And I didn't have the I didn't realize at the time I didn't have the right point of view. So I was just floundering, and I thought, you know, I was just was really disappointed in myself. I set it aside. And then, so that was around 2000 or so. And then when I moved back to Texas uh, in 2009, um, and I, I was married to someone else and went through a divorce, came back to Texas. And I, in 2004, I, you know, I, um, you know, to be <laughs> I haven't said this to anyone. I really, to be honest, I was going through a tough time. And I, um, this writing really kind of saved me. I, I um, was really struggling with what I wanted to do with my life. And and I, um, just for a number of reasons. And I thought about, you know, I, I had carried around this research in my drafts with me for years. They went everywhere. me, And I picked it up and I was like, you know, I really... I really want to work on this again. And at the time, because I had struggled so much to write it as fiction, I thought, well, maybe I'll do nonfiction. And then I went to the Dallas-Fort Worth Writers Conference in 2014. And basically uh, for that, I hooked up with a freelance editor because I thought, well, maybe I need some help. And after a few months of working with my wonderful editor, Bridget Bowen, she, we both said, you know, this really needs to be a novel. And then um she challenged me to write it from a, tic- a particular point of view, which I don't want to spoil the, 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 the plot. So um, once I had, I said, well, I don't know if I can do that. And she said, just try. So I did that, and I wrote the first chapter in two days. Now, that chapter is not the first chapter anymore, and there's probably just a few words from it. But it was once I found my voice, I... Everything fell into place, and then I got the first draft done in seven months. And then since then, it's been, I found I needed to develop the plot more. I added more elements to it. Basically, what's published today is completely different from that first draft. I mean, I didn't realize at the time how much editing you needed to do. (laughs) You know, the writing is 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 rewriting.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. believe
3: me, I learned the hard way,
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, but I think honestly coming from that, um you, you kind of have to go through that to find your voice if mm-hmm. that makes sense. you know, you have to go through all, all those rough spots and the editing and the and and all that to kind of get to a point where you you're comfortable just writing the story then. Yes. So, so, uh, you know,
3: I will say the journey has been worth it. You know, there were times where I was just like banging my head on the desk and, you know, why can't I get this? What am I doing wrong? And and then but now I'm just overjoyed at it's evolved in so many more ways than I ever imagined. And so I'm I'm really proud of what I put out. I know it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but um, I, you know, I think, you know, I think some readers will will enjoy it.
2: You just don't go on the road driving crazy. Yeah. Doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you talk about uh, struggling with uh, finding the right point of view, and you eventually decided on uh, first-person narration uh, for, for this novel. Uh, do you feel that got you closer to the character and able to kind of like maybe hear the thoughts and motivations? Oh. Of your character? Oh yeah!
3: I once I started writing it, yeah, in the first person, and uh, I just it really. I, I did have to. You do have to really like dig deep, um, and you know I just kept having to to do that. You know, and for me that came out, and you know I it took draft after draft. I mean, maybe some people can just, you know get it all out at once and you know, blah, it's all there. And then start shaping it for me, I guess it was more like an onion, but in the reverse where you're like adding layer after layer.
2: Reverse crying.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) You know, the whole process. Yeah. But with this whole process, that at the end of the day, the the book comes out today. So someone picks it up and reads it. Um, what is it that you hope to take away from that book?
3: Um, well, one thing is, is how far women have come since then, since the mid 1800s. Um, made a lot of strides, and I know there's always room for improvement, but really, we have it—we have it pretty darn good today. And so I want, you know, want to show that what the struggles were, you know, really like for, for the for a lot of women back then, because so much of the fiction that we read today from that, you know, that time is. You know, is like a, a wealthy woman, you know, trying to find a husband or whatever. <laughs> um, so that just, you know, how the struggles of women then and how far we've come. And then also um, to be forgiving of ourselves, not just of others, but also of, our, of ourselves.
2: Yeah, it's amazing how much the um, some of the uh, movies or shows you see that uh, talk about uh, 100 years ago or so or even longer. Um kind of avoid certain subjects, avoid certain, in in very much detail, you know, they just sort of um, gloss over it in a way.
3: Yes. And I don't know why I'm drawn to, uh, I was drawn to what you would guess would call a marginalized voice. But, you know, because, you know, I wrote about a 19th century prostitute. Um, And, someone who didn't really have a voice back then. Um, and, and I do have, there's one scene in my novel, how I incorporated the, the women's rights movement is, uh, I learned that Susan B. Anthony gave a, a speech on social purity, which partly focused on prostitution. It was so taboo back then to say the word prostitution. It was, it was referred to as the great social evil. But she gave a speech on social purity, her first talk on it, in Chicago at the Grand Opera House on March fourteenth, 1875, at a time when Bessie was in Chicago. So of course I have her attend this lecture. And, you know, but back then, you know, women, uh, you know, I would like to think that she and some of her fellow prostitutes were, were at that lecture, you know, cheering on somebody who was, you know, a champion for rights for all women.
2: Do you think it was in in, um, probably Bessie and her friends' minds that they wanted to be independent? They wanted more rights as females?
3: You know, it's really interesting because, um, and I know there's been a paper done on this, but uh, the title was something like that prostitutes in the 19th century were some of the most independent and, you know, freest and, and wealthiest, which is just bizarre because they didn't have as many rights. But, um, you know, back then it was, you know, a woman didn't go somewhere un- you know, escorted. She didn't go alone. She didn't travel alone. Well, prostitutes, they moved about freely, but it came at the cost of their reputation. They were out, you know, societal outcasts. They couldn't acknowledge anybody on the street. Um, you know, they would only respond if somebody said something to them. And they could be, you know, if somebody knew that they were suspected of being a demi mundane, they might, you know, draw back their skirts to avoid contact with them. So it was really an interesting dichotomy, I guess, that um, they made more money doing that than they could have been a shop girl or working at a factory. In fact, it was so bad as far as the wages for women back then that uh, oftentimes if there was a woman who worked at a factory, she might have to supplement her job by meeting a man or men at what they called assignation houses, so there were places for illicit sex. So you might have a wealthy woman who goes off and she's having an affair with her husband's best friend, or you have this woman who works at a factory, and to make ends meet, she'll meet someone at this assignation house and be paid for sex.
2: Oh, now I know why Dave calls his house that. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what that meant. I thought it was just. Now <laughs> you know. Now,
3: You're
2: gonna get me in trouble. Now I know what's going on there. You know. Jeez. Mm-hmm. He always told me it was just cats meowing. <laughs> I learn something new every day. I'll tell you. Um, and, so when you go through this at the end of the book too now, and and you've completed this, and you look back. Can you spot changes in yourself from going through this experience?
3: Oh, wow. Um, Spot changes in myself.
2: Like, Uh, did you come out of it the same person as when you went into it? Like, after completing the story and going through the emotions and the ups and downs and all of the situations, especially from the times. Um, So at the end of it, I'd imagine you learned quite a bit. Um, but how does it feel now? Is it different for you?
3: Well, I mean, it was such a tumultuous journey. There were so many ups and downs and, you know, there's so much rejection. So I get, I feel stronger. Um, I feel, um, well, today I feel joyful. (laughs) Um, This is, this is better than my actual birthday. Your pub day is so (laughs) much better than your birthday. And I, it makes me excited for the future that I am. I want to write more stories. It's given me uh, more confidence. I also um, write, I love to write screenplays. I've never had anything produced, but I co-wrote one and it won the Dallas International Film Festival's uh, 2020 uh, screenplay contest. And, um, and, I've, and, and I love that kind of writing. And I think I think winning that festival gave me more confidence, not just for screenwriting, but also for my novel writing, just as a writer in general. So it's just, yeah, now that I'm here and I can look back at everything that I went through, um, I feel a sense of accomplishment. And, um, yeah, and I, you know, I have, um, I'm already researching my second novel, so I'm just going to keep going full steam ahead.
2: Did you lose your driver's license during that time? (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned uh, screenplays. Um, Do you feel that writing a screenplay affected how you approach writing novels?
3: Yeah, I, I realize, maybe it's the, the journalism background, that because, you know, especially for broadcast journalism or TV news, it's you're writing uh, conversationally, it's uh, concise, you know, shorter sentences. So when I started, you know, decided you know, to write a screenplay. Um, it was a story that I really wanted to tell. And I, I just, I thought the best way would be a screenplay. And so I decided to attempt it and I fell in love with it. And I realized that um, I, I I don't know if you could see that in my novel writing, but I like shorter chapters. Um, you know, you get into the hmm. scene as late as possible, out as early as possible, even in my, in my novel, I just, so I feel like it. There's some crossover there that I feel personally, um, and I absolutely love screenwriting.
2: Maybe that's what you'll end up doing. Who knows?
3: Well, I don't know. I really, you know, <laughs> there was a while where I thought, you know, maybe I should focus on this, but now that my book is out, and you know, now I'm like, you know, no, that this is worth it. I, I really enjoy this. I, I'm, I feel like I'm getting better at it, um, and so because like, I think the screenwriting just Kind of help boost me, and you know, crossed over with the novel writing, and so I will write another another novel, and I'll I'll continue to write screenplays as I can. It's just you know that it's it's so hard to get something produced, um, much more <laughs> much more costly than than a book.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a different world too. Oh, yeah, too it's strange totally You know, streaming and all that. Um, are you? Are you going to be um, doing like a, a web page and, and a, how do you like to interact with your fans or readers or do
3: you? Oh, yeah. Oh, I am um, on Instagram and I have to say today's been insane <laughs> with the pub day that um, I'm barely keeping up with everything on Instagram today. But I'm there as uh, just my name, Jody Hadlock, J-O-D-Y-H-A-D is in dog, L-O-C-K. And I have a Facebook author page. It's Jody Hadlock author. And uh, yeah, I I love uh, getting f- feedback. And I'm on uh, Goodreads. Um, I've been gotten a lot of reviews there, and um, really excited that um, my book made a bunch of lists like PopSugar, BookBub, Goodreads. So that's been fun to see. And I just yeah, if I uh, you know I know that's... <laughs> Some people are, you know, uh, not going to like the plot twist, but some people do. People either love it or hate it. There's like no in between is, you know, the feedback that I've gotten so far.
2: I think that's good. Uh, as yeah. long as you can handle the uh, the bad comments or the bad, you know, the people that say they don't like it. I think it's good. I think it's good to have an opinion and be, uh, be out there with it.
3: Yeah, and I have to say the uh, good reviews far outweigh the bad ones. I just, it's, you know, I, that's who I'm writing. That's who I wrote it for. You know, it's so wonderful when people get what you've written, what you were trying to do. And, you know, those are the people that um, I'm trying to reach. And, you know, it's just, um, there's so many books published all the time, you know, every week. You know, it's hard to break through the noise, but um, so I really appreciate you talking to me about my book and hopefully some people um, that listen will be interested in in checking it out.
2: Well, is there someone that did a bad review that we can go after? (laughs) (laughs) I like doing that. I like taunting these people. Oh
3: man, let me tell you, it is kind of hard sometimes to, you know, bite the bullet and not say anything, especially if it's wildly wrong. Um, I had somebody accuse me of, And somebody took exception to, did not like the fact that I named the villain Abe Rothschild because it had undertones of anti-Semitism. And I'm thinking, did you read the book description? <laughs> this is inspired by a true story. You can Google Diamond Bessie and see all kinds of stuff. Abe Rothschild was a real person. It was not intentional to make you know him be Jewish and make him look bad. You know, So you run into that stuff and you're like, what?
2: well you know and that's only the touch of it you know wait it's going to get worse yeah and we encourage people please by all means just load it up give her all the bad stuff (laughs) i
3: can take it i'm tough you can take it right
2: well you know you you just find them like i do and then hunt them down and ruin their life that's there's nothing better there's nothing better than that you know
3: a lot of satisfaction
2: Um, well you know and I, i i don't think you 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 want to stay away from that anyway you don't want to get focused on that because that takes you away off your your drive or your goal to write a good book yes. you know you start focusing on the noise and mm-hmm. it does no good for you so yeah just keep on keep on going you know don't uh, don't stop do you worry about being politically correct then in these times
3: um you mean as far as
2: research recent- well like how how all of a sudden someone comes up and it's so particular nowadays that if you use a certain phrase or certain words, you use Rothschild. So, you know, you've got this, oh, so you don't like Jews. You know, like it, it, you're going to get this, are you worried about using, just having that comment itself? Doesn't it Doesn't it make, it make you a little bit,
3: I don't want well, to say paranoid,
2: you know, but you have to kind of go, oh, my God. Well, that, that uh,
3: surprised me because, and that didn't even cross my mind because it, you know, was a real person. So I was totally taken aback that I got that um criticism. Um But, you know, I think in these times now, people are so, I think, almost overly sensitive about some mm, things. Yeah. And I will say in writing, because I was writing something that happened uh, about 150 years ago, and there were words you know used at the time that are totally unacceptable today and we can guess what those are and so yeah i really had to and of course i didn't want to use certain words but you know i yeah i had to I, it's really a balancing act to you know you got to portray the times as they were but it's for a modern audience and that that can be a little bit challenging I think especially well,
2: in yeah, days. yeah, it's daunting. I just I had a, a deal with a publisher where they <clears throat> wanted, and it was about uh, crimes in the 1920s, and they used the word ghetto, and uh, they didn't. The publisher didn't want that word used. Why? They would rather have it called working class neighborhood than ghetto, even though the boys themselves said that word. That yeah. was their own own language, and I was kind of like, well. Yeah, you're right. But at the same point, this is what they actually said. We can't change what they're saying to mm-hmm. each other to make it sound politically correct now.
3: Oh, exactly. I don't right. know, I don't know and, if you're familiar with, there's this wonderful thing called uh, Google Ingram Viewer. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever used it. I mean, Yeah. And because yeah. I, I did that with uh, so many words and phrases um, to see what was, you know, commonly used at the time. And not all of them were controversial, but... Um, you know, I mean, I couldn't use, I couldn't say African-American in my book because they didn't right. use that at all back then. And I also didn't want to use, obviously, the other word. Um, so, you know, I had to.
2: Yeah, know, Will Smith will come slap you.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Uh-oh>. oh.
2: <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm
3: 55. I'll be 56 this month. I grew up, I mean, ghetto is a word that I, I mean, I, I don't think of it as being, um, maybe as negative, people see it that negative today. I'm.
2: You know, for me, I don't like changing um, words of characters when they're real characters, you know, when they say something, because yeah. it's real. Yeah. Right?
3: Well, I, I think of that, uh, that word is in a broader sense, but that made me think of one word that I used, um, inmate. The word inmate used to have a much broader definition than it does today. Inmate, it just, um, we refer to if there are several occupants of any place. It could be um, a convent, um, an asylum, a hospital. Now we associate inmate with just, with a prison or a jail. But right. back then it was it was m- used much more broadly. And I tried to do that in my novel, but, uh, you know, what the feedback I got from, you know, beta readers, et cetera, was that, they were confused by me using the more expansive, you know, definition of it. So I had to, you know, rework that where, you know, it makes, I could use it, but it made sense to today's readers.
2: Using those fancy words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know, in, in five years ago, so when I interviewed uh, Jack McCulloch for a book who was put away for a murder in the, in the late fifties, I believe. And the first time I met him, he, uh, wanted me to know that the first thing that, that w- America started going downhill the moment they let a woman go to work. <laughs> <laughs> and right then I knew I was in trouble.
1: <laughs>
2: because how am I going to write the things he's saying um, and not get... Attack for yeah. some, some aspect of it, even though you're trying to tell his story, yeah. you know, and, and, but I went with it. I went with it and I kind of focused on, well, this guy's an awful human being. Just the things he said and did were just terrible, but I wanted people to know, yeah, this guy's an awful person. You wouldn't want him to come over for dinner, but he didn't kill this girl. So you, you can't just put away people because you don't like them. Even though we'd, we'd all like to sometimes. Yeah. The bottom line is you can't just put away someone for a crime they didn't commit because he's a terrible person.
3: Right.
2: You know, instead you gotta, you know, you move him away, move him to Boston.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. But is that where David is? <laughs> yeah. That's his, that's his, his
2: house, you know, that, yeah. that special room. It's special um, room. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, well, you know what I'm saying. I just say, so I just, I just wonder but because I, I've been noticing that myself in the world, there's a real, with the publishers and with readers and stuff, picking out things. And, you know, especially when you're dealing with old times because people didn't behave, talk and act like they do now. Yes. They certainly weren't conscious of being correct. You you imagine being a they in 1920. Yeah. You, You know what I mean? Say, well, I'm, uh, you know, I, I recognize myself as a girl, let's say, or something, or a female. Like it was just that you couldn't, you couldn't be time appropriate. That's all. Oh so, yeah,
3: definitely. Yeah, no, it yeah. definitely is a consideration. I think most um, historical fiction readers, um, you know, obviously are cognizant of that, or at least I hope they <laughs> hope they are if they uh, <laughs> like to read historical fiction.
2: Well, hopefully, but I, I've come across a few.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'll, oh, I'll yeah, pass them sure all,
3: all. We all will and, and have.
2: So where do you want to see yourself go now? Like what, what's what's going to happen to um, to you in the future, do you think? Where where are you heading?
3: Uh, well, I definitely want to write another novel. Um, un- well, I say, unfortunately, uh, I-, I learned about this story <laughs> while research- researching Diamond Bessie. The thing is, though, part of it is set, would be set in Russia which is not really a favorable country right now. <laughs> so <laughs> I was hoping to go to Russia next year uh, Ooh, to do some research. And I'm like, you know, it's just horrible what's going on right now. And I, you know, who knows what it's going to be like next year. If it'd be safe to go if I didn't want to go, but it's, it would be, the second book would be set in 1858 to about 1880s. Um, it would be set in Russia and the U S so I may have to do everything, mm-hmm. Remotely, and of course, I have to do some of it remotely because I don't speak Russian or, you know, so I have to have some help with that. But I think it's always good to go to the place, you know, experience it, the atmosphere and what it looks like and feels like and sounds like, et cetera. So we'll see.
2: Yeah, yeah. You always pick up something, um, some sort of vibe from being in a location. In a country or, or a town or something, I find. Oh, um, definitely.
3: And I did that with uh, Bessie. Um, I even went to Ireland. She was born in Ireland and saw her, um, the area where she was born in uh, County Cork. And I, I went to almost, I think, every place that she lived or even almost visited. Unfortunately, almost every building was gone, uh, but it was still good to, like, you know, go to, go to Cincinnati and in um, all the other places. So it was, it was still good to experience it. But it was, it was disappointing that so many buildings were gone, partly because I love historical buildings. And there was this gorgeous Cincinnati Public Library that, from the mid-1870s until 1950, it was built to be an opera house, all marble. I mean, gorgeous. And the city tore it down in the 50s to make way for their, ugly building that they have now i hate to say that about a library but it makes me sick every time i think about that particular building being gone and i actually include it uh in my novel i just i just i had to because it was just i yeah. just yeah it was such a great place
2: well at least they didn't put up a walmart
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> i mean you know <laughs> it could, could always be worse um now i noticed like uh, uh the classification genre i guess you'd say you you mentioned a lot about uh um suspense and you mentioned ghost and ghost fiction and, and paranormal and stuff what is your experience with paranormal and how does that get incorporated into your book
3: well um, it's interesting because jefferson little old jefferson texas has a paranormal conference i missed it this year but a couple of years ago i went and it was really um you know they have the little equipment you know where they'll go into a house and um you know, I don't know if I really experienced anything, but it was it was interesting. Um, and actually when we were in a, listening to a, a lecture in this convention center and somebody mentioned afterwards that the temperature had dropped by like 10 degrees in the room, you know, so there was stuff like that where it was being attributed to, you know, paranormal, who knows if it was, but the reason why, you know, my, my book crosses genres, it's historical fiction slash mystery. It's more of a why-done-it than a who done um, It's been described as historical suspense, and it has paranormal elements. So it's got a lot of things going on. It's, it was called genre-bending by Kirkus Reviews, um, and, and reviewers, some other reviewers have, have noted that. It was the best way that, it was the way the story needed to be told. It wasn't that I set out to write those three things. Um, it was just the best way to tell the entire story. And not just part of it. I didn't want it to end on a particular event. I wanted the story to continue. And that was the way that I could do it.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting uh, aspect. And, and a lot of people talk about, you know, ghosts and paranormal. And it's really kind of an in thing, so to speak. In that, um, um, did, did you research kind of or look into see how people considered uh paranormal events and stuff back then
3: oh yeah well the spiritualist movement was huge and that's also obviously (laughs) um in in my book pretty prominently but yeah there were the now they were found out to be frauds later on but there were the um was it the fox sisters i'm trying to remember in the 1840s i believe where um either the Hyde sisters or fox sisters that uh, anyway they um, claimed to be communicating with a spirit in their house and then they were traveling like to europe and stuff and then of course they were people everybody was having seances so this was huge back in the 1800s um so yeah that plays a pretty prominent um, role in in my story for ob- <laughs> for obvious reasons and it was really interesting to do that research um because even even i heard that arthur Conan um doyle, uh, doyle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that he was this went, like, through the 1920s, I believe.
2: Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it was big, and that was kind of the talking boards and the Ouija's mm-hmm. and stuff when when people... I guess a lot of, you know, and we don't realize this, but there wasn't the communication and the traveling ability back then. And people, your your kids go away to war, and you don't know if they're coming back, and, and if you get a letter that they've died, you know, there, there was no communication. And I, I guess that really... Um, brought in an increase to that sort of witch boards and talking boards and stuff
3: oh I'm sure and probably after the civil war i can I can imagine um, I, I can't yeah. even imagine what that would be like to yeah somebody go off to war back then and then you get a letter a year later that your child has died and you hadn't seen them or talked to them or you know um, yeah it's very different so
2: then. And so many were just missing in action oh, or they yeah. had just had mass graves with a lot of people dead and they didn't know what happened. And so they got that. And so they had to reach out to a spiritualist or, or, you know, some sort of a, a reader to find out what happened to connect And that. So there was a huge influx of that going on, you know, and you know, it was just a crazy time, but way different than it is now. But, uh, they didn't have the, uh, you know, they didn't have the ability to communicate like we do now.
3: Right, right. I could, I, you know, if I lived back then and that happened, I might want to
2: try it too. Well, yeah, why not? I yeah. mean, what have you got to lose? Yeah. Really?
3: <laughs> yeah. You might get a special message. Who knows?
2: Yeah. You never know. You know, it, it's uh, not, not, not like you'd see on TV or a movie now. Yeah. Okay? But it, it's certainly a, a, a different time. And I think those little subtleties really come across when you're, um, you know, reading or doing something from that time. I think it's a great addition to the book. So that's, that's good.
3: Yeah. Well, and, and it just made me think of something that you might be interested in because as far, I I feel like Bessie's spirit has guided me. I know some people are going to think I'm nuts and like, woo. But I did have, um, I don't know if you've heard about this happening where, you know, a character just shows up or if it's happened to Mm -hmm. you, um, but I was sitting at my desk, and I was thinking about Edla Vines, one of the characters, and how I was going to, what role she was going to have in the story. And I promised you, I felt this strong presence so much that I am alone in the house. I actually turned around to see who was behind me. And I said, okay, Edla, <laughs> You're going to be prominent. I mean, it was like she was telling me that she wanted, um, and I, you know, I, I don't want to get too much into the giveaway, too much of the plot, but um, I, have a, I have an affection for um, Edla and Bessie's friendship in the story. And she's a prominent role because I felt her presence while I was writing about her.
2: Well, that's interesting, you know, and I, you no, know, and I've had that a lot before with even, you know, uh, true crime writers and stuff. Like, uh, I think, uh, Mark Shaw was one that, cause, you know, Dorothy Kilgallen that, that, uh, she was on the, um, you know, that What's My Line and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And she died, um, as they say, mysteriously. And she had just interviewed, uh, Jack Ruby after he killed uh lee harvey Oswald with Mm -hmm. the uh, kennedy assassination and then she ended up dead in her apartment so he says that she would visit him and so he wrote a book about and researched her life so i i've heard that before i mean it's not not exactly the same but the same idea
3: well it was really freaky i mean it is a thing and it um yeah, it's. It was, Were you drinking? Kind of to people, so. what? what was
2: that? Were you drinking? Uh, no,
3: no. <laughs> <laughs> middle, it was the middle of the afternoon.
1: Oh, the well,
2: that hasn't stopped people before. It's got right? me. No. drinking. <laughs> yeah, it's, he doesn't know when to stop. So yeah, I mean, no. you just daytime, nighttime. You know, hang out in the basement. Wow. <laughs> What, so let's, let's talk about your favorite things to do. Like what kind of uh, books do you read or do, you, how do how do you think you get inspired?
3: Oh, well, I, I'm an eclectic reader. I will read anything that holds my attention. Um, so I read pretty much every genre, except I, I, I would like to read science fiction and fantasy. I just haven't, haven't done that, but it's on, on my list. But uh, pretty much anything. that, And I love nonfiction, too. I, I, I read a lot of nonfiction as well.
2: So my book. So I'm one of the biggest influences. Then <laughs> <laughs> reading my books, right? Of you're course. supposed to say you always pick the host, <laughs> right. Come on, like I just. Ah, we have to get on that. We'll have to edit that one out so you yeah. make sure. That, <laughs> of course, you're the you're the my biggest influence. You know, <laughs> I couldn't write without it. You know.
3: <laughs> well, if there's somebody that I get, I don't know if she's an influence, but I just I think her writing is just incredible, as Hilary Mantel. Um, oh. she wrote the Wolf Hall trilogy and I am um, about T- Thomas Cromwell. Cromwell is the protagonist. And I just, um, her, her sentences are like nesting dolls and just, um, incredible.
2: Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing how, how you can be influenced by certain people like that, that can do something, you know, Well, it's, it's
3: like aspiring, uh... you know, I, the writers that I, you know, I just it's like, I, I don't know if I would ever be able to write like that person. You know, but I just, you know, I can only do what, you know, what, you know, is me.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're going to write like your person. Yeah. Not, but it, it might be, uh, you know, influential for you. Yeah, and stuff like maybe
3: that. make me elevate my writing, so to speak.
2: Yeah, or, you know, you make it worse. <laughs> 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 Lots you never of know
3: possibility
2: too. Mm. You know, you just don't know, right? And, yeah, you're uh, always so and, positive, Al. Yeah, I'm. I'm well, yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking all the way around. So you know, it's all it's 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 all got to be good. <laughs> do you do you, so when you're writing these stories, like because a lot of it's research, so you can do that whenever you've got the opportunity and whenever you can go to a place or do the research. But when you're writing the story itself, do you have to be in a certain mood to write it?
3: I'm very disciplined, so no, I um, have a routine, and I actually like to do a lot of my work in coffee shops, and I think it comes from when I worked in newsrooms that, and there's been scientific studies that the ambient noise of a coffee shop is really conducive to, Hmm. like, focusing. I, and I guess it comes from working in a newsroom, I can shut everything out, Um, and I, so I kind of like uh, noise around me. I don't listen to music while I'm writing, but it's just, I, and I can get so focused and in a zone and I'm just, I'm just, and I'm very disciplined about, I get up, I go, you know, I work three or four hours in the morning, three or four hours in the afternoon. And then even sometimes in the evening, I'm doing stuff, you know, it just, I will say as a writer, it's constant. You're constantly thinking about something whether it's the research or the writing or the marketing, uh, you know, you're always trying to be open to you know ideas and stuff. So it's it's exhausting. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm exhausted listening. I just.
3: <laughs> I no, actually, no it's I no, I I enjoy it.
2: <laughs> I think it's I think it's good. I just I so you're not the type. Ta- See, I I'm I'm on that same wavelength, but I I um can sit down and, and if I'm trying to write, if I'm not in the right frame of mind, it's not going to happen. Like, um, I, I, I can't just go, well, um, okay, between two and four today, I've got nothing going on. I'll sit down and just write this. Um, it doesn't quite happen for me that way. I, I don't mind all the noise and all the activity, but I, I can't just jump into it. Yeah. I
3: mean, I just, sometimes it, it may be that I don't get much done. I um, And we know it's so much of writing, is it, it really helps to get away from, like when you're doing the dishes, when you're doing another activity and it kind of yeah. frees up your subconscious. And I've gotten, I can't tell you how many times it's happened to me where I think of something and I run to write it down because, you know, I'm working on a, uh, a plot point in my head or something that, you know, motivation for a character and it'll come in, you know, when I'm doing something completely different, and then I'm racing to, to write it down.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get that. So are, are you one of those uh, nutty people in the coffee shop really pretending to be there for something, and you're listening to everyone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll kind of, never tell. <laughs> yeah, you're trying to really, you're picking up information, and listening to gossip, and kind of going, yeah, okay. I like that, you know, and I see, so uh, you know everyone's got to be aware of you, you know, we'll make sure your picture's up as well. <laughs> see this woman driving be on the careful road around this woman yeah, she's driving, pulls to the side like an ambulance, and wait, you know do not, do not follow this person and and if you see her in a coffee shop, turn around and leave yeah. Turn around. There's there's plenty of coffee shops. You don't need to be stuck there. You'll be the next victim in her book. Well,
3: you know, and what's you know. also funny, I don't drink coffee. I only drink tea.
2: See, see, <laughs> you know the truth is coming out. See, now we're getting now. Okay, now see, it takes a are. while to break them down. But let's let's get to the real stuff here. So you go to coffee shops pretending to be someone you're not, and you don't even drink coffee. I know. <laughs> Just a complete fraud. Yeah, do you go in there and start making coffee for people and they think you work there and you don't? I'm crazy. Well, um, it's certainly been interesting, and um, hopefully we uh, make your day a little bit brighter. Um, So now uh, now we're talking about the new book that came out uh, today, which when the show airs, it's going to be out, so you better run out and buy it. Otherwise, Dave comes after you. That's right. <laughs> and um, it's called The Lives of Diamond Bessie, and it's a novel. And the author has been our guest, Jody Hadlock. So thank you for being on the show.
3: Thank you so much. This has been wonderfully fun. I've really enjoyed it. So I really appreciate you having me. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Jody. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com
1: show's over for now was it as good for you as it was for me
0: yeah good night this is a production of something weird media i'll be back
1: hold up what was that